0: If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us, and enjoy this message. Rivalry. Now, I understand rivalry when it comes to sports, because I live with a Yankee fan. And so she has very passionate feelings about a certain team in Boston. So I understand rivalry when it comes to sports, Teams sometimes have these intense rivalries that they, um, they show passionately. So, but rivalry in a, in a more general or a way that applies to all of us, um, the definition is competition for the same objective or for superiority in the same field. So basically, I want to be the same as you or I want to be better than you. I want what you have. I want to be better than you. Fighting for position, power, or status, or it could look like I feel less than. So because I feel less than, I have to fight and make myself um, look like I'm more important than you in order to compensate for what I don't feel inside. So now this rivalry has been going on since before time. Because if you look at Lucifer, he wanted to be better than God, right? Right? There was this competition, this rivalry. I'm not enough. I need to be better. So Isaiah 14, 12 through 14 says, How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. So that's what Lucifer said. It's pretty uh, audacious. Now, you can't actually be like the most high. You have to either be the most or you're not, right? The most is a standard of itself. So he wasn't just trying to be like God. He was trying to be God. He was trying to be above. So there's definitely, you see the, the effects of, of rivalry there. So then Adam and Eve come on the scene. And what does Satan do? He, he uses the same tactic, of lying to them, a son and a daughter who were created in the image and likeness of God, friends with God, walked and talked with God. And the enemy's strategy to them was, you're not good enough. You need to be more powerful than God. You need to have, he's hiding something from you. He's not giving you all of it. And so he used that same seed, that same lie to speak to them. And I also think if Satan couldn't be number one, he didn't want Adam and Eve to be above him either. So there's this rivalry going on. Then you've got Cain and Abel. Adam and Eve have children. You've got Cain and Abel. Is there a sibling rivalry there? Absolutely. And those are actual siblings. Um, Genesis 4, 3 through 8. This is uh, Cain and Abel. It says, In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. I imagine that was an intense conversation, just as talked. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Rivalry? I think so, yes. Um, So Cain allowed his own identity to be shaped by what God said about his brother, not what God said about him. God said, if you do well, won't you be accepted? He said, this is going to mess your life up if you don't deal with this. And we see how he, he didn't deal with it. He um, continued to have that rivalry, that jealousy against his brother, and he took it out in murder. So then you move on a little while longer in the Bible, and you get to Jace, Jacob and Esau. These two were added in the womb. The Bible says that Rebekah, their mom, said to God, if everything's okay with me and with this pregnancy, why do I feel this way? And God said, there's actually two nations rivaling inside of your womb. Here they are. They're added in the womb. And then it didn't help that, um, that within the family, um, Isaac favored Esau and Rebecca favored um, Jacob. So that never helps either when there's other dynamics involved. Um, so Jacob and Esau, from the very, very beginning, they spend a lot of their lives fighting, deceiving one another, stealing from one another, running from one another, um, they think they're trying to kill each other. It's, that's their whole, I mean, you can follow the journey in the Bible. So this was, like, this was a problem for them. Then you've got Rachel, who's jealous of Leah because Leah has children and Rachel doesn't. So you've got those two, this sibling rivalry happening. Then um, God gives Rachel a son, and you've got Joseph. Now Leah has sons, and the siblings are at it. So do you see how this just keeps going and going and going? There's this rivalry. Now, Joseph's older brothers, they're so upset with Joseph because he's um, the, the father's favorite. And there's been, you know, evidence of that. And so they try to kill him, sell him into slavery. I mean, we've fought like as sisters, but they've never thrown me in a pit. Maybe there just wasn't one nearby, but it never got to that point. So, So here's Joseph and he gets sold into slavery. So then you move on in the Bible, and you got Saul, jealous of David. Then you've got David's sons, fighting over power, fighting over who's going to be the king. Then you move on to Jesus, and you're like, okay, Jesus comes on the scene. People, they should be getting their act together a little bit. And here the disciples are with Jesus. They could ask him anything. He has all this wealth of wisdom and knowledge, and I mean he's Jesus. And they go, Jesus. So, like, who's really the greatest? Like, it's me, right? It's me. It's not him over there. It's just, it's not, there's no way it's Peter. He's got a mouth on him. Like, so that, that's what they're arguing about. Who's the greatest? Then you've got, Jesus tells a parable uh, about the prodigal son. So, um, I'm going to get there a little bit later. But here the, the, I'm sorry I'm not getting into all of this. You can, you can research more if you want to later on. But follow my my trail here. The, the prodigal son comes home, um, and the older brother is jealous because he's like, why did I never get a party? I've been here the whole time. What? Why? And he's jealous that here this mess up of his brother comes back one day, and all of a sudden, it's all about him. So there's rivalry there. Then you've got the Sadducees, who are jealous of the apostles, you can read that in Acts 5. So it goes on and on and on and on and on. So if you think just through, that's only like part of the Bible. If you think this many occurrences throughout the Bible, do you think it's something that we could still be dealing with today? Yes. The answer is yes. Okay. So what happens is when we step outside of our identity and try to rival with somebody else, it's like putting together a puzzle. Do you ever put together a puzzle and you're like, it's got like, the piece has to fit here. So if you try to fit a piece that doesn't belong in a space where it was not meant to fit, what you're doing is pushing out somebody else. You're filling somebody else's place. You're pushing them out of the way, and then you leave a gap where you're supposed to be. So like rivalry does that. We try to push somebody else out of their rightful place because we're not okay with our own identity. We don't understand who we actually are. So... We're not Build-A-Bears. Do you know what a -a Build-A-Bear is? You can go to the store, and you can choose all of their different things. You can, or like if you customize a doll. We're not like that, where we can say, okay, I want those eyes, and those legs, and those abs, and that character, and that heart, and that intellect. We're not like that, but you know what? We don't have to be, because God actually created us perfectly unique. He didn't mess up when he made us. I think that's something like, we really, I don't know, I've I've had to get that into my DNA, that he did not mess up when he made me. If I say something awkward and, like, whatever, he didn't mess up, so it'll be okay. Like, pretty much that, he didn't mess it up. And because he didn't mess it up, if I stay in him, I can't mess it up either, as long as I stay in him. So, um, Lisa Bevere has a quote. She actually wrote a book called Without Rival. You can see Amanda. She'll teach you the whole thing. But <laughs> she, um, Lisa Bevere and I posted this quote on Facebook this morning. Um, she said, don't spend your life trying to be someone else. No one has ever walked the planet who can represent God the way that you can. So I like that aspect because it's not just about us filling our place, but we're a representation of him. And we're a unique representation of him, and only we um, can be that uniqueness that our that our world needs. And so um, as much as I love the personality profiles and tests and all of that stuff, and they've helped me a lot, bottom line is he made you uniquely, and we need to celebrate the way that he made us. So um, we don't want to despise who we are and try to wish it away, trying to be somebody else, because that. This is never what we were meant to be, never what we were meant to do. So God created you uniquely with inherent value. Say, I am, valuable. I am valuable. Okay. So if we don't believe that in the core of who we are, we'll always be trying to get our value from somewhere else or something else. So Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, this is the passion translation. Are you ready for some interaction? Okay. And he chose us, say us, us. to be his very own, Joining us, say us, to himself, even before he laid the foundation of the universe, because his great love he ordained us, say us, okay, you're getting it, so that we would be seen as holy in, in his eyes with an unstained innocence. For it is always in his perfect plan to adopt us and his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us Would glorify his grace for the same love he has for his beloved one Jesus, he has for. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. So say he chose me. Turn to somebody else and say, "He He chose you. We're not in competition. You can say that part as many times as you want. We are not in competition. He chose us. He chose us. He chose us. He chose me and he chose you. I did that backwards. He chose you and he chose me. He chose us and we don't have any reason to compete with one another. He made each one of us unique for a reason and he didn't mess it up. So we don't have to fight our way into our identity. We don't have to fight our way to try to be better than because we're not in competition. Now, on Fridays, I work for Debbie at her online business, and in the morning, um, we pray together as a team. And one day, I came in um, to the prayer circle late. I don't know why. But I came in, and, you know, they're all holding hands, and I stepped up to the circle, and they opened up, and they let me in. And in that moment, the Lord just spoke to me this simple thing, and he said, there's always room for you. There's always enough room. It looked like a closed circle, but all I had to do was step up to it, and there was room for me. And the Lord just spoke, there is always room for you. There's always room for your contribution because he created a space. He created a seat for you at the table that only you can fill. So that's really important for us to know and understand, not just in our intellect, um, but in the the core of us, in the depths of who we are. Um, Because sometimes I think we think um, subconsciously of life like a game or a sport. So um, I went down memory lane a little bit this week finding this. But I was raised in a very Christian home. And so, like, when computer games first started out, um, we, we got, compu- like, we had some computer games. And there was one called Jill of the Jungle that um, friends of ours had. And so it was this little woman who, like, swung on vines. And she had to go from level to level to level. Well, my wonderfully Christian parents managed somehow to find the Christian version of this game, and it was called Onisimus, a quest for freedom. <laughs> I don't even know how that makes sense biblically, but somebody somewhere was like, wait, we need a, it- there was nothing wrong with the original game, but they had to put, it had to be Onesimus, it had to be the Christian version. So my whole point in telling you that um, was that sometimes we think that life is like a game and we have to get from level to level to level to level. And it's a competition along the way, and there's little monsters trying to eat us, and there are, like, we have to be on our game, we have to make the right step at the right time, and if we don't, somebody else is going to win. Life is not a game. Life is not like that. Um, He didn't create us to be in competition with one another, and he didn't create us to be like, okay... You're almost to the next level. Like, we talk a lot about levels and seasons, like in church, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's not about getting from one level in our um, in our uniqueness and then going to another level. We're just living. We're living, and if we're content in who he's made us to be, we won't feel that, that, like, pressure to try to always get to the next thing in order to be okay with ourselves, be okay with God. We won't have to get to the next level. The next level. And we don't have, there was another game called like Captain Bible or something like that. And you had to like use your sword of the spirit and like you had to use the scriptures to beat the bad guys. And I looked at pictures, some of these bad guys would give me nightmares. Like they're horrifying. But the point is we don't have to like the the bad guys, like, oh my gosh, I have to be so prepared for the bad. All we have to do is be us, be who he's created us to be live in his truth, live in his identity, and just be us. It takes a lot of pressure off of us when we don't feel like we have to compete, we don't have to uh, win, and we don't have to um, just, we're at competition with ourselves a lot of times. It's not even always about other people's. We just have this competition. I have to get there, I have to get there, I have to get there, and if I don't, there's either something wrong with me, or somebody's not going to be pleased with me, and that's just a lie. So, Life's not an obstacle course full of tests and trials and battles where we have to fight and compete to be the best and to come out on top. Say there is no competition. Okay. So, if you can find a place in the Bible where Jesus was in competition with somebody, let me know. It's, you, if, you know, if you really want to be smarter or whatever, you let me know if you can find that. If you're in competition with my message. But, so, um, a little while ago... I don't know how long ago, a couple years ago maybe, um, I was like going through something in my identity and the Lord spoke, or no, and, and I just said to the Lord, I said, God, teach me who I really am. And I just made that my prayer every single day. Teach me who I really am. Because I knew and I know that if I know who I really am, then I won't be afraid of anything. And I can do anything. Doesn't that sound like freedom? Not being afraid of anything and knowing that whatever he's put in your path, I can do it. I can do it because that's, he's called me to it. He's called me to succeed, and I know that I can do it. So I just made that my prayer. Um, God, teach me who I really am. Because when we're convinced of who we really are, and we see exactly who we were created to be, It's not just that we'll understand that we were beautifully and wonderfully made, we were uniquely crafted, but we were uniquely like me, like Katie Stansfield, like Loretta Kaur, like Donna Zuber. We were uniquely created in his image and his likeness. Not just, okay, Jesus loves everybody, but he loves me. He called me. He created me with a, a unique purpose and a unique destiny. 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 In Isaiah 43, 1, God said, Fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You're mine. That sounds pretty firm to me. So if we can really understand that in the depths of who we are, then we'll never have to try to compete with somebody else. Because we'll just celebrate them. We'll be able to celebrate us. We'll be able to celebrate them. And that, again, that sounds like freedom to me. Say there's only one you and there's only one me. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. We're equally unique. It's not a competition. All right. So I have an eBay business, and uh, like a long time ago, the name that I chose for was I Broke the Mold. I don't know why I picked that name, but it, it came to me in this message. Did you ever hear that? God broke the mold when he made you. Some people say that in a negative way, but I'm like, no, God, there's no way he can make me again. Like, because I am, I am perfect. I'm perfectly me. Not perfect, but I'm perfectly Katie Stansfield. God said, okay, all right, she's born. Her name will be Katie Stansfield and she will be amazing. Her name will be Destiny Stansfield and she will be amazing. Whatever the name that you have, when God made you, He made you. He didn't have to copy anything because you were unique. So I don't know if he broke the mold. That's not necessarily uh, maybe a little extra biblical, but sure. So when we understand our unique worth, it it also removes the shame, any shame, because our identity is secure. Okay, so that was foundational. Now I want to get into some of the side effects or the, the symptoms or the pictures of what sibling rivalry can look like. So one of those is that you feel as though you're never enough. Now, I believe, like, okay, so in the room today, let the Lord speak to you. This might not be something that you consciously think about. You say, oh, yeah, I know I'm enough. I'm a child of God. And don't make it something that it isn't. If it's not there, hallelujah, it's not there. But just allow the Holy Spirit to nudge. And if if something resonates in you, just say, okay, I'm letting go of sibling rivalry. I repent, and I'm moving forward. So... Not feeling as though you're enough. The definition of enough means occurring in such quantity, quality, or scope as to fully meet the needs, demands, or expectations. Fully. You can fully meet needs, expectations, and demands. You are enough. Everything about you is enough. So um, a lot of us, myself included, would have a hard time looking in the mirror and saying, you are enough. You are, like, absolutely complete. You're whole you have enough, you are enough. So um, a couple years ago, I was just minding my own business. And you know, if you allow the Lord to speak to you, sometimes he says things and you're like, okay, I wasn't expecting that one. So I was just minding my own business. And the Lord spoke to me that I was believing a lie. And the lie was that I was always going to be second best or second pick. So I don't remember going through something in particular, but he just revealed that lie to me and like, I'm like crying. I'm a, Danielle's like, um, what happened? Did something like, I did, did I say something? I was like, no, no, no. It's just the Lord. He's just revealing something to me. He's just dealing with me. And so and I shared it with her because it's good to do things. It's good to pe- let people into your story. Just a, a side note there. But so the Lord revealed this to me and that I was always going to be second best or second choice. Um, and so I was like, oh, my gosh, you're right. <laughs> Imagine that the Lord was right. So I was like, okay, I need to deal with this because I started to see all the ways that that lie was affecting my life, even in the littlest things. And so that night, I prayed and I repented. I said, "God, okay, you've revealed this. That means you want to heal it." And so I made my list of godly beliefs that I still have on my phone today. And if ever that lie, because the lies still try to come, it's not like um, it, it's not like I that night was the end of it. But now I recognize it, which is so good of the Lord when He reveals something to us that we're believing that's a lie or that's fear or that's not that's not a part of our identity, when he revealed it, it's like, okay, now I know, I'm aware, and I can deal with this. I can allow um, this healing process to continue, and I can partner with it. So, that night, I made my list of godly beliefs, and when a thought like that comes in, in any way, shape, or form, that I am second best, or I'm never going to be good enough, then immediately, I have to make a very conscious, very deliberate choice to dismiss that thought, and to replace it with one of the, the truths that God says about me. And that just has to be, it has to be on purpose. It has to be deliberate. And now, when before that would have driven my life in a way where I might have stepped into rivalry, now if I can recognize it and I can adjust my thoughts, then okay, I'm going to walk towards freedom, not towards fear, not towards rejection, not towards shame. I'm going to walk towards freedom. And so that's something that we can do. Anytime the Lord reveals to us something that we are believing that is not his perfect will for our lives, it's not our identity— We can say, okay, God, thank you for revealing that. Now, and then on our part, we can also, okay, what would be the truth in that situation? Make that list. And then every time that thought comes, it's like instinctively you just start to, at first it's very conscious and very deliberate, and then it just becomes to be be a part of who you are. And you're like, okay, shut up. I'm going to replace that thought with something that's true. So, so the enemy's lies will try to creep in in the most subtle ways. So, in that in that way, and the Lord, He is good. He will reveal those things to us if we're, if we're open to it. So, my prayer is that we would all know the true us in such a way that when a lie comes, we know not to accept that. We can replace that lie with the truth. So, everybody say, "I am enough." Okay. So if we can start our days reminding ourselves of that, if that's something that you struggle with, that's something you can see as a tinge in your life, just start every day. I am enough. And just start to repeat those things over and over and over again until it becomes your, um, your subconscious. It becomes a part of you. So because our value is not um, based upon what we do or what we look like or who we know or how we rank, our value is non-negotiable and non-transferable as a human being and as a child of God. All right, so that was number one of the symptoms or side effects of a sibling rivalry. Another one could be that we have a wrong perspective about God. Having Being in that rivalry could allow an open door for us to see God in a way that he is not. So, did you ever play Twister? Raise your hand if you have played Twister. Loretta, good for you. Okay. So, in the game of Twister, it has a spinner, and when you spin it, it'll tell you which, which color to put your right hand, left hand, right foot, left foot. Sometimes I think we have an idea of God that he has this giant spinner with all of our faces on it. And every morning he wakes up, or he doesn't sleep, but every morning he goes and he flicks the spinner. And wherever it lands, that's who he's going to bless that day. And we're like, okay, today was their day. That's good for them. But God is not actually like that. He doesn't pick and choose he has enough to go around so there there can be an idea that if somebody else has then it wasn't my turn or I didn't do good enough or I wasn't enough or um, I must have done something wrong or whatever that could be that that he's giving to one and in, in effect to that he's taking from us or he's not giving to us so that could be something that you think of consciously, or that could be subconscious areas of your life where you just um, just subtly believe that God's cheating you in some way. And so um, an honest representation of this. So I am a single woman. I know that you guys know this because you remind me often, but... So sometimes that means, because I, that's, I love my life, I'm happy, I'm, I'm okay. I trust God's process for my life. Okay, but what that means is sometimes I can look at somebody who has what I don't have and it can be like, all oh, right, it wasn't your turn, it wasn't your turn, it wasn't your turn. Be happy for them. You're happy for them. Yes, we're happy for them. And then we move on. But it's just like this one little subtle thing that is like, oh gosh, they have it and I don't have it. And that must mean something about me, right? Can you see how that can apply? Now, this can apply to many areas of our life. This can apply. Um, I, you know, a woman who's trying to have a baby, she's either um, not able to get pregnant, she's having miscarriages, and every person around her seems to be getting pregnant like that. It's just like that feeling of like, oh, my gosh. Like there's so, there's either something wrong with me, God's withholding something from me. There's the lies. They just come in, and they they trick us into believing um, wrong about ourselves and about God this could look like I have other I put an extra notes in here to confuse myself yes So this could look like you're struggling financially, and you're working overtime, and you're working all these extra hours, and your next-door neighbor just seems to win the lottery every day, and it's just like, oh, that's great for you. So glad you don't even go to church, but it's like, we just have these things that can creep in, and it's just like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 that's great. It's great for them. I'm totally fine with it. And we can get there to where we are okay with it. It's not like we're not celebrating. It can also be where you've just been believing for healing for a long time. And it's just, you're, okay, all right. And you've come to every prayer line, and you've gotten prayed for a thousand times, and you believe and you stand in faith, and it's just, okay, I guess it wasn't my turn today. I guess it wouldn't happen. And then the next person who's never been prayed for in their life with, you know, they just got done doing drugs or whatever, and they go, get prayer and they get healed. And you're like, Okay, like what what was that about? And it just allows these lies to come in because that that feeling that, that paradox between pain and process or uh, or just, one side of the promise to the other side of the promise or just anywhere in between can allow those things to creep in and lie to us about who we are and about, okay, and then we do start to get jealous or we start to compete or we start to say, okay, if that's what's working for them, that that must be the answer. That must be the right way to do things. And that'll just really get us off track if we're not careful and if we're not sure of who God is, uh, who he created us to be, and his attitude towards us, his friendship towards us, his love towards us. So we don't want to be um, that way. We don't want to be the prodigal, the older brother of the prodigal son. And I, this is my note that I added, and it messed me up. But um, last night I just read this portion again about the prodigal son. Um, I'll just read a part of it so it's not so long. So the, the prodigal son, do we all know the story of the prodigal son? He takes his father's inheritance. None of you guys know the prodigal son? Yes? Okay. So you can find it in, I didn't even write down the chapter, find it on the internet. So so, um, the younger brother goes, he takes his father's inheritance, he parties, he blows it all, ends up coming back, um, and the father comes to him, gives him the best, kills the fatted calf, throws a party, and the older brother, who's been there the whole time, is like, um, excuse me, why or why, why is this fair? Why is this right that you're doing this for him and not for me, who's been with you the whole time, and I never made all those stupid decisions, and I've been doing a good job? And can you see how he had an idea of who the father was in that moment? Maybe maybe he never had that idea about the father, but when the, the prodigal came back in that moment, it was like, wait a second. I didn't know my father's character was like this. I didn't know that he um, wasn't fair. I didn't know that that he didn't love me as much. I didn't know... All of these things. So in that moment, it's like, wait a minute. I, I didn't believe this about you before, but now I'm starting to believe this. And the father, he comes or he says to the son, because the son says, why are you doing this for him and you never done this for me? And the father says, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and glad for your brother. He was dead and now he's alive. He was lost, but now he is found. So when somebody else gets it and you don't have it, it's right to celebrate with them. It's actually right to to celebrate, to um, honor. When the Lord moves in somebody's life, it is worth celebrating. If it happens in any way, shape, or form. But he said, son, he called him who he was. He reminded him of his position. You are always with me. So he's like, okay, let's adjust Something got in there to tell you that I am something that I'm not. He says, you are always with me. You have everything that I have is yours. And he just kind of like brought this correction in love to say, don't believe the lie that I'm not who you thought I was, that I'm not who I am. You have everything that I have. I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from you. It's right that we celebrate him, but I celebrate you every single day. You're always with me. And so we want to have this understanding that that's who God is, that he's always with us. We're always with him. We have access to everything that he has. So when somebody else gets and we don't, we can't allow that lie to come in and color our perspective of God because it'll get us really in a messy place that we don't want to be. And it'll actually steal from us because we won't see what we have. We won't recognize what we already have. So now let me dig back because I threw that page in there. This is why we have outlines that we stick to. So so some things we can do to help keep our perspective of God um, in a healthy way. One, have a relationship with Him. Okay. Um, But always process with the Lord. So if somebody gets something that you don't have, it doesn't mean you have to Oh, God would not like what I'm feeling about that person right now, so I'm not going to tell him. I'm not going to go to him. I'm just going to deal with this myself. Instead, we always process with the Lord, not away from the Lord. So we can go to him and say, God, this feels really unfair, and I don't know what's going on. I know your plan is good, but right now, I do not like it. Go to him and process with him. He's not afraid of your attitude. He's not afraid of your stuff. He's not worried that you're going to lose your salvation over these feelings. That can happen when we do it away from God. But when we process with the Lord, it shows us not only does it correct our thinking, but it shows us again who he really is. So that the next time it's like, okay, I remember when this happened. Now I'm just going to celebrate freely, and I'm going to walk in a new level of freedom, which is really a happy place to be when you don't have to constantly be in that battle of Okay, I did something wrong, and and it's just like emotionally exhausting trying to figure out why. When we could just go to God and have it have it worked out with Him. So, um, keep a history with God. It's important to always remember what He's done for you. Because I used to tell my younger sisters, I don't ever want you to say never or always, because when we um, are having a moment, we can get really into this. Always happens to me. I never get to sit in the front seat, whatever it would be. I always, I never, I said, no, 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 stop it right now, no. So we can get in those things with God. This always happens. I never get, and it's not true. So if we can start to remember all of the times where he did, all the times where we got blessed, all of the times where we had enough to give, um, we, we were overflowing. If we can remember all of those times, it keeps us out of that, like, drama of who he's not. He's never, he's all, he always. It keeps us in right perspective. So keep a history with God. Um, and also have other people in your life who can help you when you forget. So uh, I've preached those messages before. You need to have other people in your lives because sometimes you just get too much in your own self that you forget what's actually true and you need to let somebody else come in and not punch them in the face when they say it even though you may want to but have people in your life do real life with people Um, be you know let them be part of your story be part of theirs so you don't want somebody else's blessing to become an area of mistrust doubt anything that's going to come in and We should just be able to celebrate. We should be able to celebrate with one another who they are and who we are. And when we remove rivalry from that, from ourselves, we're able to do that. And it's really beautiful. It's the way that life was supposed to be lived. So I'm going to skip this because I'm running out of time. All right. So another side effect uh, of sibling rivalry or just rivalry. Um, Are we competing rather than contributing? Is it about me and protecting what is mine or building my own name or platform? Or is it about what God is doing and my God-ordained part? Am I doing what I was created to do? Not looking at anybody else. Am I doing what I was created to do? So um, so questions to ask um, at work. Do we have to be the ones with all the answers in order to maintain our job security or our identity security? just a question. I'll just leave it there. Um, Do we have, oh, do we constantly correct our kids, not just because they're disobedient, but because we want them to know that we're in charge? And this doesn't have to just be parent or children. This could be a person. Do I always have to have, oh, you could be doing it that way. You should be doing it that way. Am I always correcting someone else? Because I want them to know that I I have a leg up on you. I have more control. I have it all together. I have it more together. So is there anywhere where we're um, being critical or or overly corrective to someone um, out of a root of trying to appear or to be um, better than? Um, are we critical of people because we know how it could be done better? Now, I've seen this a lot in the church because I'm in the church world. So, <laughs> that church over there has got it going on. What is wrong with you? Like, that kind of thing. Oh, um, that business is doing this way better than, than you are. That kind of stuff that kind of competition, that kind of rivalry is just poison, and we don't want it any part of our lives. So, um, and reason is because if the enemy can get us to turn on one another, he wins twice, because one, he's got you, and now you're doing his job for him. Sounds like a great business model. If he can get you You start to do it for him. You start to talk bad about other people. You start to lie. You start to accuse. You start to be critical, all of that. So we don't want to let it in to us because, one, it's not who we were created to be. We have an important role to fill. But also, that's his job. I don't want any part of his job. He's good enough at it. He does not need my help. So um, when we can celebrate uh, and contribute rather than compete, um, we go from taking and getting in order to meet our needs to being content in who we are and in who God is as an abundant rewarder. We can celebrate your contribution, and I can celebrate my contribution and not have any rivalry in between. It's just celebration. All right, and uh, another side effect of sibling rivalry can be, do we compare ourselves with others? So this this can look a little more obvious, in my, in my opinion. Um, sometimes we know when we're comparing. I'm like, oh, yeah, she looks good in that outfit. I could not. Like, we can just see comparison sometimes. So Teddy Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. Um, I have often said comparison is poison because it just is. It gets in and does nothing good for us. It might look sweet because we feel it in the moment, we feel that gratification, but it's actually poisoning us. So do we look at somebody else and we think um, they're more intelligent, they're more skilled, they're more beautiful, they're more popular, they're better, um, with the idea that who they are makes us less than. If we do that, we're drinking poison that will affect our lives. Or do we look at another person and we say, well, at least I'm not as bad as... That's a trap, also, because we weren't fulfill, we weren't called to fulfill their destiny. We were only called to fulfill our destiny. Their journey looks different than ours, so we have no right in comparing ourselves with another person's journey. So. Um, All right, so these are just some of the ways that rivalry can look, because that's all I could fit into this time slot, but you'll start to kind of notice um, if you, um, you know, ask God, show me if there are areas of my life where I'm walking in this, because I can see how it really um, could keep me out of your best. It could keep me out of of identity. It could keep me out of my contribution, Um, and some, I skipped it somewhere along the way, but sometimes we can, we can kind of um, spite our, our contribution. It's like, I know that God's put this ability inside of me. I know that he's put it in me, but I don't like it. And so we start to just spite it or not use it. or just, I, I don't enjoy this. Rather than saying, God, okay, you've put this on the inside of me. Give me joy in this. Give me, give me um, satisfaction in this and see how something um, that, that you almost said, I don't want this, how key, he can you actually um, pull it out of you and you'll get fulfillment out of it? You'll get satisfaction out of it. So, all right. That was a side note I threw in there from somewhere else. So questions to ask yourself to see if you're being affected by sibling rivalry. So these were just some that I thought of, but there are many, 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 many more. So am I living for my life? Uh, am I living my lo- life for myself or am I contributing and receiving from the contributions of others? Do I feel like I can't be myself and still be accepted? Do I feel like I have to perform in order to fit in or earn favor? Uh, When on social media, do I find myself wishing I were someone else, living someone else's life, which is, that's not their life. That's just their highlights. Um, When someone else is doing well, do I secretly wish them to be brought down a notch? Do I follow outward success or am I content where God has positioned me? Uh, When I watch movies, TV, or sports, do I romanticize the characters or players and compare my life to one that is not real? Do I live vicariously through my children or through anyone else in my life? Am I jealous of my spouse or my friends when they excel in an area where I do not? Can I receive feedback and correction from the people in my life? Do I find myself focusing on how life is not fair or believing that I am always getting the short straw? Do I have people in my life who I can be vulnerable with, or do I keep a distance because I'm afraid they won't like who I am, or that you've put on a mask for so long that you think they don't even know who I really am? Can I go boldly before God with my flaws and insecurities and allow him to speak into my life? Um, So, like I said, those are just some, and I know that was like dropping a bomb right at the end, but... um, We just want to be ones who are not competing, we're not in competition, we see ourselves as enough, we see God for who he is, um, for the the good, good father that he is, um, and be able to celebrate what he's put on the inside of us, what he's put on the inside of the person next to us, um, because there's really a lot of freedom that can come out of that. So, is that something you want to be free of, rivalry? Okay, if you don't, I'm going to pray anyway. Father we just thank you God that you're helping us to see who we really are to see and to know our identity to such um, an extent that we don't we don't think for a second to compare or to compete with another person, God, we just repent for any areas of our lives where we have stepped into that rivalry, God, where we've thought that we're not good enough or that we had to outperform or outwork or um, or any other comparison with another person, God, we just um, repent and we ask that in your mercy, God, you would reveal any areas where that is alive or active inside of us, and God. Uh, we just thank you, God, that um, you only reveal things to heal it. And so, God, I, even as you um, reveal those things and you you teach us and you walk that out with us and how to um, be completely free of every form of rivalry, God, I just thank you that there's going to be just such an acceleration uh, of celebration, of validation uh, for ourselves and for one another, God, and for the, the amazing uh, cornucopia of fruit that's going to come from that, God, that we're just going to um, just step into another uh, aspect of freedom in our. Our lives. So Father, I just thank you for blessing each one here today. God, that you've made them um, uniquely. Um, you've made them to be celebrated beautifully and wonderfully made. Um, God, you called them good, and you never um, changed your mind. So Father, we just thank you for blessing each one uh, in Jesus' name. Amen.